He has slipped into the deadly snare for all religious people, which is that he offers sacrifices to God and then he carries on following his own impulse throughout his life. Don't you think that you can use your religion as a smokescreen for the disobedience of your life towards God? Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, today we're looking at the story of Saul, a man who outwardly looked religious, but beneath it all, he was a mess. But he was very regular at worship. He liked to offer these sacrifices. And the word of God to him was, to obey is better than sacrifice. So you you think that just because you show up at worship that that's going to somehow please God? And God says to him, I don't see a pattern of obedience in your life. What I see is a pattern of you showing up at worship and then doing your own thing and disobeying the law of God and following your own impulse. And that was devastating, that word to Saul. And uh, the tragedy was that he did not listen to it. And so he becomes a warning to us. There are warning figures in the Bible. And Saul is a warning figure that when you hear the word of God, and God calls you to repentance. When you carry on, that's really dangerous because you're less likely to hear him in the future. And why should he ever call you again? So I want to say today, as you're listening to the scripture, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like Saul did. You turn your heart towards the Lord and don't rest simply on the fact that you show up in church once in a while. To obey is better than sacrifice and God's calling you to a life of obedience. As you say, Saul is a warning figure and we see the story of Saul in the first book of Samuel, chapter 15. So if you can, join us as we continue with the message, A King Gone Bad. Here's Pastor Colin. We're beginning today uh, with uh, Saul. We're going to follow his story. Saul reigned for 40 years. And 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you would turn there with me now, please, comes roughly halfway through his reign. For a few years, things had gone well. There had been some victories. uh, Chapter 11, a victory over the Ammonites. Chapter 13, a victory over the Philistines. Then in chapter 13, very interesting, what happens when Saul begins to get confident is that he tries to extend his own power beyond even the power given to a king. And then we come to chapter 15. This is the story, you can read the details later if you wish, of how God sends Saul on this mission in which he is to deal with this evil, evil man, Agag, who had an extraordinary history of atrocious war crimes. And instead of putting Agag to the sword, which was what God had commanded Saul to do, Saul chose to bring him back alive, perhaps thinking that uh, having him locked up would be a kind of trophy to his own praise. And instead of destroying the animals as God has commanded, uh, Saul kept them and then justified his action on the basis that he had offered some of them as sacrifices to God. And this now is the point where God draws the line. There's been grace extended throughout the previous chapters, and chapter 15, you'll see the heading at the beginning is, uh, God uh, rejects Saul. And this is the awful moment in the story where Saul is rejected by God as king. And in verse 10, you'll see it there, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul 
king. Power has corrupted Saul. And now there is grief in the heart of God. When you read the word God saying, I regret, don't, don't think for a minute, of course, that God is saying, oh, I made a mistake. God makes no mistakes. And the heart of God is moved within him at the tragedy of this first king and the path that has been chosen and the end to which it is going to bring him. And Samuel is given the unenviable task of announcing the verdict of God to Saul, the first king of Israel. And the news puts Samuel, this good man, into an agony of soul. Try and put yourself in Samuel's shoes. He loves Saul. He's prayed for Saul. In earlier years, he's been a well-received counselor to Saul. But Saul's now gone on a different path. And Samuel has to come and speak the word of the Lord to him that basically says, Saul, you're done. You're done. So Samuel goes to speak, and we take it up in verse 22 that was part of what was read. Samuel said, behold, the middle of the verse, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption, notice that word, is as iniquity and idolatry. And then this most awful statement. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Period. Notice that Saul is indicted by God on three charges. Let's allow the light of God's word to search our own hearts right now. The first is rebellion. Verse 23, do you see it there? Rebellion is as the sin of divination. You can check this out in Deuteronomy chapter 17, but when a king in Israel came to the throne, the command of God was that the very first thing he was to do was to make his own handwritten copy of the entire book of Deuteronomy. Can you imagine writing out the book of Deuteronomy in its entirety? It was to be written out by hand because the king was responsible, executive, he's to implement the, uh, the law of God and so he's to write out his own handwritten copy, impress in his mind, his heart, is to be on his bedstand at night, is to be with him wherever he goes, on any of his journeys. He's constantly to have the law of God beside him so that he can live by it every day. What does God say? How can I do it? How can I influence others to move in the same direction? But Saul did not listen to the word of God. And as time went on, Saul convinced himself that he could decide what was best for himself, that he could determine what should be done for himself and for the nation, and that he would stand and fall by his own judgments. And Samuel nails that for what it is. He says, Saul, that is called rebellion. You are not living according to the word of God. You are following your own impulse and your own way, and you're doing it under the banner of faith because you're the king of Israel. Friends, on the last day, I don't care how long you've been in church or whatever, 
on the last day, the question when you and I stand before God is going to boil down to this. Who was king in your life? Was it really God? Or was it really you? Every day, every week, every year as we begin another year, we are working out the answer to that question in the decisions we make, the choices that we make, the priorities of our lives. What place does the Word of God have in your life? We, we hear it every week when we gather together. The Bible says the entrance of God's Word gives light. It's in reading the Word of God and in taking it as your guide and in walking with God that you are enabled to make wise decisions in the course of the week. How can you live according to the Word of God if you don't read it from one week's end to another? So you're not listening to the Word of God. I don't know if he ever made a handwritten copy. Maybe he did, and it just gathering dust. You're just doing your own thing. There's not an entrance of the Word of God, and, and what that's called is rebellion, because what you're really doing is you're, you're just feeling your own way. You're going by impulse, not submitting yourself to the guiding instruction of the very Word of God. Who is king in your life? If it's you, do you see that you are guilty of rebellion against the king of kings? That's what we're learning here. And then Saul is indicted on a second charge, not only rebellion, but notice the second charge here is presumption. Presumption, verse 23, is as iniquity and as idolatry. Now, what is so striking to me about in the story and it should make every one of us uh, take a fresh look at ourselves, is that Saul manages to convince himself that he really is pleasing God even when he is in rebellion against him. Here's this man, he's actually not listening to the word of God. He's, he's going on his own way. But notice what he says to Samuel, verse 13. It's like, but I wouldn't melt in his mouth, as we say. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 20 I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on a mission. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. And it was the people who told me to keep the sheep and the goats. And I used them as a sacrifice for the Lord your God. Hey, what am I? Saul is absolutely sure that he's on the right side of God. That he can please God in his own way. He doesn't need to go by the Bible way or the word of God through Samuel way. He can please God in his own way. We spared the sheep for the sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, we did it to please God. Uh, what could be more pleasing to God than sacrifices? I mean, isn't that what he wants? And uh, Samuel says, now, the only problem with that, Saul, is you may think that that's what God wants, but that is not what God said. You're guilty of presumption. You have this idea that whatever you think is good is what is acceptable to God. That's a path to disaster. And if you don't think presumption is a very serious thing, then look at what um, Samuel says here. He says, here's how serious it is. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Saul, when you run with the idea that God is pleased with whatever pleases you, it's 
No better than if you sat down with a piece of stone or a piece of metal or a piece of wood and just carved your own idol because what you're really doing is you're making God to be a massive projection of yourself. And that's blasphemous. And God has come to an end of it, Saul, as far as you're concerned. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a series about the life of David. This message is called A King Gone Bad. And if you ever miss any of our broadcasts, you can always catch up by going to the website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download any of our previous messages for free, or you can stream them online. Now back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. Rebellion. Presumption. Then the third indictment here, do you see it? Disobedience. Behold, to obey, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, Samuel's not making a critique of sacrifices here. Sacrifices, of course, were given by God, pleasing to God when offered with a humble and a faithful heart, an expression of worship. But you see what's happened to Samuel here? He has slipped into the uh, deadly snare for all religious people which is that he offers sacrifices to God and then he carries on following his own impulse throughout his life. And what Samuel is saying very powerfully here when he says to obey is better than sacrifice, he's saying, now Saul, don't you think that you can use your religion as a smokescreen for the disobedience of your life towards God? You say, hey, I've been to church. I took communion. I didn't take communion. I have real integrity about that. I'm part of a Bible study group. I went to a conference when I heard five of the top ten speakers of the United States of America, and it was marvelous. And God says, who cares if you continue to walk in disobedience? That's what's being said here. It's powerful. It's convicting. Rebellion. Presumption, disobedience. And then Saul heard the most awful words that must, they must have been an agony for Samuel to speak. They were awful for Saul to hear. Verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Period. God was done with Saul. This is the Old Testament equivalent to the day that Jesus speaks about when some who thought very well of their religious works will hear the Savior say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Period. And we should tremble to think about that. And the chapter ends with a tragic scene. Here's Samuel, who's the one who's brought the word of God to Saul. And it's been received in earlier times. But now this man has, uh, with his puffed ego and his inflated view of himself, turned to his own path. And Samuel, who loved him and prayed for him and guided him. We read in verse uh, 34, Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went to the house of Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. The word of God has gone from him. 
And Saul is still on the throne, of course, as we'll see as we follow the story, but he's lost his power. He still has a crown on his head, but it's an empty symbol. People still think he's the most marvelous fellow, at least for a time. And nobody really knows that the reality is that while he struggles on trying to bring order to his own life, the truth of the matter is that God has left him. God is not for him. God is not with him. And he is without God and he is without hope in the world. That's the reality of Saul from the end of chapter 15. And we're going to follow the story. And we're going to see what it is like to be without God and without hope in the world. As Saul moves into greater and greater darkness, he's consumed with more and more jealousy. David comes along and Saul's whole life is, what about me? What about me? And the dark moods and the violence that comes over him and the tragedy of a man who is alienated from God and there is no way back. The indictments against Saul, rebellious, presumptuous, and disobedient, and therefore rejected by God. That, my friend, is the Bible's analysis of our natural human condition. That's what we're born into in this world. Let's not mince words. It's what the Bible makes clear. We hear this indictment, we have to say, by nature, that's us. Like Adam, we have decided to be our own kings. Like Saul, we are kings gone bad. A song written by Randy Stonehill, who some my age and perhaps a little older will remember. I don't know if anyone younger has ever listened to him. A Christian singer who sang these words, We are all like foolish puppets who, desiring to be kings, now lie pitifully crippled, having cut off our own strings. I am so glad that the Bible does not end at 1 Samuel chapter 15, are you? What has God done for this world of self-appointed kings gone bad? And you know the answer, my friend, he has sent another king. And that is why we have been celebrating at Christmas. The angel says to Mary, you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and God will give to him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there will be no end. And when he's born, what happens? The magi come and they say, where is he who is born? The king of the Jews. And we have these kings who come and they bring gifts and they worship him. And then he launches his ministry. And what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And he demonstrates his power as king by stilling the storm and by casting out evil spirits and by healing the sick and by raising the dead. And what happens is that the people say, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so what do they do? They reject the king. They dress him up in a purple robe. They twist a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they put a reed in his hand and they begin to mock him. Hail, hail, they say, in their mockery of our king, Jesus Christ. And then they nail him to a cross and they put a sign. And Pilate puts a sign above him. You remember what it says? It's the king, king of the Jews. But death could not hold this king. 
And on the third day, he rises from the dead, and God highly exalts him, gives him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And at the end of the Bible, we are told of the day when his glory will be unveiled. And what do we hear? That he has a robe, and then written on his thigh, there is a name. And what is the name? Say it with me. It is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his glory is seen by every person who has ever lived all the would-be kings. And all power is given to him. And the reason that all power does not corrupt him is that he is God. He's God. And this king graciously offers himself to all of us self-appointed kings who've gone bad and and stand on the wrong side of God because of our own rebellion and our own presumption and our own disobedience. And he comes and he offers grace and mercy. And then he says to us, now you must come into my kingdom. I want to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the marvelous kingdom of my light. My question to you in closing today is, is he your king? Is he your Lord? You need a king to whom who you can trust with absolute authority in your life, because otherwise absolute authority is going to be with you and it will corrupt. A king whose laws you will obey. A king whose direction you will follow. A king to whose judgments you will submit yourself. And there is a king to whom you can trust your life, and his name is Jesus. And the message of this series is, you dare not be your own king. You dare not be your own legislator. You dare not become your own judge. You dare not become your own executive. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The best way we can launch ourselves into this new year is as best we know how to bow before the risen Lord Jesus Christ and say, in everything that this means, Lord, be my King, my Savior, my Master. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called A King Gone Bad, part of our series about the life of David. Don't forget, if you ever miss any of our messages or want to go back and listen again, you can always do that by going to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Also on the website, you can find Open the Bible Daily, These are a series of short reflections written by Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. Just two to three minutes long, with a new one appearing on the website every day. At Open the Bible, we're able to keep this program on the station because our listeners support us financially. If that's something you feel able to do, we'd really appreciate a regular donation. And to say thank you, if you can set up a regular monthly donation of £5 or more, we would love to send you a copy of Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and Robert Wolgamuth's book, You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. And Colin, why should people read this book? Oh, two reasons. Uh, the first is the people who've written it. Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth is a wonderful Bible teacher. Her husband, uh, Robert, a wonderful writer. They've collaborated together. You want to read 
the writings of people who walk closely with the Lord. And Robert and Nancy are marvelous examples of that. But then the second reason would be the focus of this book. It's all about how God writes your story and how you can trust God to write your story, especially in times where you feel, you know, what is actually happening in my life and what is it that God is doing? At one point in the book, Steve, Robert and Nancy give us 10 principles that help us to see how God is at work in the story of our lives. I haven't got time to give all 10, but here's a sample. God works in unexpected, unexplainable ways to accomplish his purpose. Then here's another one. What we see now is not the whole story. Another one. We can trust God to write the story of those we love. That's a really helpful encouragement. And here's another. The challenges we face now may be a part of God writing someone else's story. That's a really helpful insight. And wrapping it up, you can trust God to write your story. God is always writing a redemptive story in the lives of each of his children. And this book wonderfully explains how it's a joy to read and it will be a blessing and a help to all who read it. For Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is supported on this station by our listeners. No Christian should expect to see Saul in heaven. Every Christian will see David in heaven. Find out how God is able to turn a Saul into a David next time on Open the Bible.